coming to you from Vero Beach, Florida and Marion, Massachusetts. Hosted by Ed Chenefee, this is the podcast that researches and investigates the club management and facility side of our business. I'm Ed Chenefee, your host, and it's always a privilege and honor to bring you the news and the views from the private members club, hospitality, and boutique hotel industries. This week, our guest is Natalie Wilson, who is head of food and beverage at the illustrious Nassau Club in Princeton, New Jersey. Natalie has been a part of teams at Stanwich Club in Greenwich, Connecticut, and other wonderful private members clubs from New Mexico to New Jersey, where she was most recently general manager and chief operating officer at Suburban Golf Club. Natalie takes us through how she handles a club the size of Nassau, where she has 1,100 member families, almost half of them non-resident, and almost half rarely ever actually use the club. And we ask, how does she maintain a staff of 12 in the restaurant with breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day, and with residents staying upstairs in private rooms at the club. Natalie takes us on a journey of all her jobs and her searches, and she believes that search firms, as they are slowly consolidating, are actually hurting clubs in the recruitment process and not really adept at finding local or national talent. She believes it's more important for the executive search firms to get the next search at that particular private members club rather than get the right talent and right person for the job at hand. Finally, I ask, what are the top three things Natalie does to enhance the membership experience for her members at the Nassau Club? How does she make a big old encumbered house in Princeton feel like a second home to all her members? Before I bring Natalie on the line, I'd like to let you know that we here at BeyondTheBaselines.com have been hard at work this winter, realizing our goal to establish a mentoring and educational website that will be launching soon. The Institute of Club Directors will be coming to you this spring. We'll keep you posted on the launch date and let you know how to join the forum, which we know will be a leading industry tool in years to come. In the meantime, if you have any questions or concerns for us about your club or your facility, don't hesitate to reach out anytime. Give us a call here at the office on 508-538-1288 or email us at beyondthebaselines at gmail.com. As always, you can always visit our website at www.beyondthebaselines.com. But now, without any further ado, Here's the food and beverage director of one of the most prestigious eating clubs and a sort of private member's bed and breakfast in all the country at Princeton's Nassau Club. Here's Natalie Wilson. Hello, welcome to the BeyondTheBaselines.com podcast. My name is Ed Shanifee, I'm your host, and this week I've got Natalie Wilson on the line. Actually, she's on camera too. Thanks for being on camera, Natalie. You're welcome. Um, but Natalie is, I guess, uh, at the Nassau Club right now in Princeton, New Jersey. Yes. And you are director of food and beverage? Director of food and beverage, yeah. That's a big job at an eating club. It's, <laughs> it's I would say it's probably more, it's probably the most important job at, at the club. Um, it's, it's a constant, I need to be there because it's breakfast, lunch, dinner. And um, it's what we concentrate on is food. Yep. Well, <clears throat> Princeton's famous for its eating clubs. <laughs> I mean, you've got them on campus and you have them off campus and you're on the big off campus one. But I would assume that most of your members are, are Princeton based. And I bet a lot of them went to Princeton. It seems a, like majority, a majority of them did go to Princeton. Um, we are what two mere blocks off of the campus. Um, just Saturday night, I had 170 tiger tones. <laughs> That's the acapella group out of Princeton. And it was like a reunion. And they all came to the Nassau Club. There's a, there are tigers everywhere, <laughs> like tiger prints, tiger paintings, tiger figurines, um, everywhere throughout the club. So it's very associated with Princeton. A lot of the faculty, graduates, alumni, like they're all part of Nassau. Yeah, I mean, I and and people, I, I'm sure a lot of people don't know, um, you know, Princeton. So I, I'll try to describe it. There's one big street called Nassau Street. It's got uh-huh. all the shops. It's got the bookshop. It's got the university store. It's got Starbucks. And Starbucks doesn't do well. They've got great coffee shops like around the world or Little World or whatever it's called. Um, but around the world, around yes. the world. But then also down on campus, folks, where like I'm sure you've been busy with football season. Mm-hmm. They have um, a street. I forget the name of it, but all these eating clubs where all the students, it's almost like a fraternity, but it's an eating club. And mm-hmm. so I think Nassau probably came out of that tradition. And so Nassau is not part of the university, correct? It's not owned by the university. It's owned by the members. 
It's owned by the members. Yes. And um, there's a Princeton um, membership that's for any faculty that wants to come over. And then there's the theological membership for the theological society. Which is like kind of in your backyard, as I recall it's, from where the theological school is. Right. It's right. like literally in the backyard. Yeah. Um, I had no idea that was such a huge part of Princeton, but it is. Massive part of Princeton. Like Princeton is a bubble. Like I'm from Boulder, Colorado, and we always joke that Boulder is a bubble. And and we have, there's a part of us that gets very anxious when we have to leave the bubble and go out to the rest of the world because Boulder is so perfect. Um, Princeton is like that. Like when I have to leave Princeton, like oh, I had to go, you know, like out on Route One and and yeah, deal to the with Turnpike. Come on, right. <laughs> so like Prince- the rest of New Jersey. One of my members <laughs> described it best. He's like, "You'll understand that Princeton is basically the Vatican of New Jersey." <laughs> I was like, "It is. Totally. It is a beautiful town. Beautiful, yeah. uh, beautiful people too. I, I love Princeton. Uh, spent mm-hmm. a lot of time there. Uh, we manage a club there." Um, I had a girlfriend that went to college there. So I spent a lot of time in my days at Princeton and it's a wonderful place. Although I'd never been to the Nassau club until recently. And I had dinner there before your time. When were you there? I was there last December. I went there twice, uh, maybe three times. I had dinner with my family there one time. And then one night I met a member from the club, Pretty Brook, which we manage. And uh, I hung out afterwards and played piano in the back for the staff. And they started dancing. It was kind of fun. Oh my gosh. That I don't know if the piano is still there. It's in the hallway as on the right is. as you go back through. Yeah. It, that <laughs> see, and that sounds like a very Nassau club thing to happen. It, it, <laughs> yeah, I kind of <laughs> sat down. It was right there. I just said start tinkling the iris. We have over eleven hundred members um all together. Um, maybe six hundred of those are non-resident, and we will see these people like once a year. And um, then the rest of them are all residents. It's, so that's, it's really impressive. That's a, that's a great question. Cause you know, in management, all of us are taught even starting as a tennis pro. When I first did my certification, you know, you have to call the person that you're giving the lesson to, you have to say their name six times. And then when you get higher up and you become a department head, you know, GMs want you and the members expect to be called by their names, you know, Mr. And Mrs. So-and-so, Mr. Mm-hmm. And Mrs. So-and-so. Um, it must be tough when you have 600 members that you don't see all the time and you're new, obviously, don't know if they're coming in more regularly. Who do you, did you concentrate on the membership book and take that under your wing when you started work there at the Nassau club? It's impossible. Yes. To answer your question. Yes. I keep the membership list um, at my podium and at my desk there. The funny thing is there are crossover members. I have two members who are also members at the Stanwich club. So that was easy for me, um, which is my former club. We, we should know that Stanwich was your former club where you were yeah. food yeah. and beverage manager. Yep. Yep. Um, and so that was easy. But it's the everyday people, like when I say everyday people, they are everyday people. And I see them, you know, five times a week. So you get to know the membership really well. It's always good to see you, sir. That's right. <laughs> it's a good way out, right? Hey, it's my, it's my, I dislike it so out. much when I can't remember somebody's name. It's like, gosh, Ed, you should know it. You should know it. You should know it. But I yep. can't know everybody. No. Hey, uh, you know, we're talking about Princeton and how wonderful town it is and where where it is a university town in New England, like New Jersey, but kind of a New England feel to it. How is that different from, I know you were a GM out West. Uh, you're from Boulder, obviously another college town. Uh-huh. But you've been a manager out west, I think also in uh, Arizona, I want to say Arizona or somewhere New Mexico. like that. New Mexico, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. And um, how is it different, A, working in New Jersey at one of these oldest established floating eating clubs in New Jersey, <laughs> if I was going to quote a Guys and Dolls song, but how is it different <laughs> from being out west? I mean, what, what what's the main difference or differences? Oh, uh, where to begin? Um, the membership... When I started at the City Club in Boulder, you know, it's, it was some of the best thinkers we had in Boulder. We used to call it the Black Sheep Club because even though Boulder is full of black sheep, these were the blackest of the black sheep. And, and it's where everybody was accepted and, um, 
And we, you know, a lot of, a lot of startups, a lot of um, entrepreneurs, um, people who just didn't fit in the mold, right? And what a terrific place to start your career because you're exposed to kind of the crazy personalities, crazy in a good way. Like yeah. they, they, outside the box. Yeah, they're so outside the box. And there's the people that don't sleep, but these are also the people who are just changing their their industries on a, on a daily basis. And then I went to New Mexico. That was going back in time because it's it's very old boy and but like Western old boy. And there's a difference between the old boys club out east and the old boys club out west. Like these are the guys who who think putting on cowboy boots that's dressing up. Right. So it's a lot more laid back out West. They, you know, I had somebody um, who owns one of the largest oil fields in Texas. Um, and, and he looked like he just came off of the Grateful Dead circuit. Like, like, and, and he would land by helicopter, but you would never know it. And, he, and did he play it. golf? I mean, he was a golfer? Yeah. Yeah, he was a golfer. Okay. And, and he threw like this huge party on Labor Day weekend and he'd invite a hundred people and, and that's what they would do. But you come out here, <laughs> you know, member guest, whole nother level of member guest. My first member guest at Stanwich, it was, it was a, a very proper party. Like it right. got out of control, but in a refined sort of way. Cocktail party type of way. Right. right. And, and so there's, it's not a stodginess, but it's more civilized out here. Like out West, anything goes. And when, what happens there stays there here, right. everyone's always on, on their best behavior. It's the same here. You know, I, I go back and forth between Florida and New England. So I'm up mm -hmm. in, uh, the Massachusetts Buzzards Bay Cape Cod Vineyard. I've been up there for 11 years now. So it's like that up, up there, down here, it's like uh Schaefer, the beer to have when you're having more than one, you know, I, I mean, they're just kind of, you know, different down here, more laid back. Um, yeah. uh, even the New Englanders that come down are affected in a way by the big Grove owners who own most of the town and are also yeah. members of the club. So I get where you're coming from. And I didn't know if that happened out West and now I know. And, um, you know, talking about city clubs, and it's funny now, the CMAA is actually, and, and, and the Platinum Clubs of America are actually subdividing. They've got the country clubs, mm -hmm. soon to be divided will be country clubs and then residential clubs, or, you know, where you live on yeah. campus. And then they've got yacht clubs now, and now they've got city clubs. And I mean, like the Detroit club is, I think, always the top it's, of the list. Right, right, Detroit Athletic. Yeah, and the New York Athletic is up there. Yeah. And you know, the Harvard club up in Boston, university Union club Lincoln, in New York. Philly. Union Lincoln, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so what now, what do you think about the, the city clubs? Is there a different vibe because they're, I mean, there are sports, obviously there's squash, there's tennis sometimes, but what's the general vibe? Is it really revolve around food? And that's what I'm coming to when the question is, you think it's more onus on you as a food and beverage director at a city club or at a club like the Nassau club? than it is at a country club where you have other amenities. How do you feel about that? I think the food and the beverage is secondary. Like people come to a city club for community and it's, it is solely dependent on conversation, right? Like, and, and for someone like me, I love that. You know, I, I don't need to hear about your golf game again. The conversations that, that happen in city clubs, that's what it's about. And they order food and they order drinks. But this is a conversation they could have at a coffee shop. This is, you know, they could have it anywhere. This gives them um, privacy. It gives them a quiet space. It gives them exclusivity, right? Which is kind of what a lot of people are wanting. Truly, it, it's all about community. Like city clubs depend on that community. And so you have to create that, you have to create that experience. Well, I wish I could say that I, I get nervous. And, you know, when I'm at a tennis club and I'm the director yeah. of tennis, I'm nervous because that's the only reason those people are there is for tennis. But right. I, I guess you're right about the community. Now, what's funny about my tennis club is people don't stick around and chit chat. We don't have a restaurant really. So it's, we're kind of lucky they kind of leave. But I'm loving that you're not that, you know, you don't feel that 
much pressure at a city no. club. If people aren't, you know, we joke because I spent plenty of time in restaurants as well. We used to joke, we call them campers, right? People who just sit at the table and it's like, oh, go put the KOA sign above that table because they're, they're staying the night. I get worried if my tables aren't camping, if they are in and out. Like, Don't you like... I, Aren't you supposed to give them really bad coffee to get them out? Is that the deal? You start cleaning up around them. <laughs> start rolling the tables away. Right. I, mean, I hate when I hate when food and beverage directors start rolling the tables. I mean, I think it's so rude. I hope you've never done that. I'm sure you haven't. No, I can't I, imagine I have... it. I can't imagine it. NASA or Sandwich Club. Look, watch out. We're rolling the tables up. You got to get out. Now, Sandwich Club, we did have a couple. And it, they would know who they are, where we started throwing on the lights, you know? It's like, okay, it's one o'clock in the morning. Like, yeah. Go home. Yeah. Here, here come the theater lights and the spots on yeah. you. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Beyond the Baselines is the leading executive search firm for private members clubs and boutique resorts. From the kitchens to the courts, the practice tees to the waterfront, Beyond the Baselines is your partner to find the best in-class employees for your club, facility, or resort. Whether you are a member-owned club or a corporate hotel entity, we are the specialists for you in elite hospitality. It's not just the members that should feel loyalty to their club. It's the sense of loyalty combined with the pride of offering superior service and hospitality in every worker that makes a good club that much better. So find that right candidate with us today. Call us today at 508-538-1288. That's 508-538-1288. Or visit us on the web at beyondthebaselines.com. So let me ask you the, 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 the difference between a country club then and like from Stanwich, which is the same genre of member. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, your, your GM, and I know your GM up at Stanwich. I don't know your GM that well at, at, at uh, Princeton. Obviously, your your GM has a much more day to day contact with you at a at a city club because the GM at Stanwich guy D'Ambrosio he he would be um you know dealing with golf agronomy superintendent greens committee paddle committee tennis committee yeah. Yeah. bowl bulls or whatever you know they have all that up there croquet yeah. I think so tell me is it harder. Uh, in a way to have a manager much more, I'm, I'm not going to say that someone's in your face more, but they're going to obviously be there more. Is it, is it more difficult or is it, how, how did you manage that? Being a GM as I was, I kind of like to run my own show and yeah, guy at sandwich, there would be days to, like, I knew he was there. I just wouldn't see him because he's got a million other things going on. And, and the way that guy's brain thinks, like he's thinking 12 years out and not, you know, like all he needed was just run my restaurant. That's all you need to do. I will worry about this out here. So when I would see him, it would be great. But, but most of the time he was so hands-off. Um, this experience, Steve is very hands-off with me um, because he knows I can just do my job. Uh, but it's strange having my office right around the corner from them. Uh, it's not a bad thing. It's just different. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah no, so, I get someone's it. there. Let me, let me describe the Nassau club to those followers and listeners that don't know it. It's a house. Okay. It's a, it's house. a house. It's, it's a, house. a big, it's a big house, but upstairs I'm sharing you're upstairs, I think. No. Um, so both, all of our offices are on the lower level. Okay. And, and my office is is like the biggest office, but now I know why no one wants to sit in there because there's no heat in there. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I have like these massive you know space heaters going. That's why no one took that office. But eight feet away from him, and I can hear everything that's happening in that office. And so it gets it's it it's just different, you know. Like yep, I get it. But get he lets it. me run my show. Like I have carte blanche on how I run my dining room, how I run my wine list, how, how I run the bistro. Like I have carte blanche and he rarely questions what I'm doing. 
No, I, I get the, the, the issue of being too close. My, my GM up north, uh, she and I actually share an office and they built it for us and it's great. But at some points, both she and I get up with our computers and go into the kitchen and just, mm-hmm. you know, put our earphones on because you, someone's going to come in and interrupt me, that interrupts the GM or vice versa. And so it's very difficult because you do hear everything that goes on. And then it, it gets a little tough when, you know, discipline has to happen or something like that. Yeah. And someone's got to get up and leave. And anyhow, um, I get where it, you're coming from. When I had an interview at another club, and I think you know which one it was, they showed me the office where I would be. And it was a great office. It was a great office. And he said, and your assistant would sit there. And there was a desk in my office. And I'm like, oh, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> right? right? I don't share my office. Are you kidding me? Like, yeah. I mean, that's like the same thing I say when the, the, the clubs in the summer will sometimes say, hey, you know, Ed is director. You're going to have to house your pros and maybe they house, live with you. I'm like, I'm not seeing No one's coming to my house in the summer. <laughs> I, that's the last thing I want to see someone have to work with 24 seven back in the house, you know? Right. Um, and, and I don't share an office with them either, but um, you know, s- speaking of, of, of the house and being in a house working um, take us through a day because you had, you started the whole podcast saying um, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. How many covers for breakfast? Obviously on a Saturday when there's a Princeton football game, there's a ton of coverage probably. Um lunch how do you maintain a staff how do you not avoid burnout i mean that's three servings a day it's like a hotel almost and i think it is a hotel because i think you have rooms upstairs right it is a hotel um what's crazy about that is like the third floor for the hotel i mean it's an airbnb or not an airbnb but like a bed and breakfast setting mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. like there i don't think there are tvs in the room but it's some of them don't even have private bathrooms. Places booked every single weekend, and oh. they don't care. There's no elevator going up to the third floor. <laughs> you have like pretty old Princeton people like lugging their luggage up up the floors. It's it's funny, but breakfast can it can honestly be anywhere from five people to like forty. You never know because people don't book reservations for breakfast. Yesterday for lunch, I ended up with maybe 80 covers. And for a Tuesday afternoon, that's a lot of covers. That's a lot. And then, you know, dinner, I can be, I can have all of my private rooms sold out. And so I'm looking at, you know, a good 150 people plus my dining room, plus my bistro. So any given night, I can do over 200 covers. a staff that is so small um 12 people maybe and they just do it all it like i worry about their burnout they they half of them are related so you know like this is someone's cousin or this is someone's daughter and that's a princeton trait (laughs) it it really is a princeton thing and and we can talk about the um princeton waiter olympics do okay, you know I want to hear that? No, I yeah. want to hear about that. Oh my god. Like I didn't know that existed. So, and it's it's like such a tight-knit group and they only kind of allow in people they know. And other than that, it's like my staff is is impenetrable. Like I can't bring someone in from the outside. So if one person calls out, everything gets work. run off. Everything gets run off. But we, we've served, we served 170 people the other night with six people. Like that we call them. Yeah. Yeah. They just, they work so hard. I mean, I mean, you have two bars there. Don't you have two bars? Yeah. I mean, with 12 staff, I mean, how do you do that? And I will ask you this. I had dinner there last December with my family and in the middle of dinner, we were talking to your predecessor and he said, uh, Mr. Shanfi, and he, see, he got my name right. I couldn't believe it. Uh, Mr. Shanfi, I, I have to go. And I said, what's up? And he goes, oh, there's a there's a leak in the shower upstairs. Yes. So he's like 
the captain on duty as well for the rooms upstairs. Have you had an issue like that too, where you've had to like get pulled away because there's something wrong with the rooms upstairs? Um, well, I got pulled away the other day because someone was stuck in the elevator. <laughs> there you go. Same, same thing. <laughs> because it's an old house. Whether you're in a club or you're in a house, those things will always happen. When I was at my previous position where I was a GM, that was an everyday occurrence. The roof is leaking. Um, the water heater blew. There's water just spewing everywhere. The club where I was in New Mexico, I used to keep rubber boots in my office because the kitchen would flood so often. <laughs> oh God, let me let me ask. That's a this is a great question. So you you changed uh, not careers. You've always been in hospitality, and yeah. I, I call this the hospitality industry. Clubs are you know I mean hotels, Airbnb. We're all in hospitality. Yeah. Um, but you've just come from suburban golf club to the Nassau Club. Now yeah. at suburban GM you got this team of agronomy guys, you know, doing the greens that's out at 5 a.m. cutting the fairways. I mean, so you've gone from probably a staff of, I don't know, 120, I'm thinking 110. I don't know how many there were there, but from there to a staff of 12. But I mean, there's, uh, take me through that. How, how, how's that affected you? Is it, do you? Obviously you get nervous about burnout, but how did you work with a staff so big like at Suburban? I would say, hmm. Your superintendent, when you have a when you have a um, golf course, your superintendent really does oversee that, and and I would meet with him once a week, and that's where my information is coming from. Looking at numbers, you know, that's first of all, most of them were Portuguese, so I didn't speak Portuguese. I still don't speak Portuguese, so my interaction with them was very minimal, but mm -hmm. it was mostly me looking at labor. It was me looking at how much we are spending on fertilizer, how much we are spending on this. You know, that's, that's truly what the interaction between a GM and a super should be like how he manages his guys completely up to him. That's why he's in that position. I want nothing to do with it. I just want to make sure the numbers are coming in where they're supposed to come in. I, I've never had a staff this small and, and it, it, <laughs> they have yet to let me down. Like, that's awesome. yeah, I, and I do not mean to sound cliche. I am truly blessed to have the staff that I have because they'll do anything. They'll do anything for me. That that's very special in this time and age because it's very hard yeah. to find good, good work workers. Yeah. Um, at Beyond the Baselines, we have over 25 years of experience with management of private members' clubs and boutique resorts. Whether it's finding the inefficiencies caused by the blurring of roles between management and board governance, managing a single department, or educating and mentoring a key employee, we have served the private members' club industry like no other consultancy since 2007. Partnering with club governing bodies and working alongside management, we bring a team of highly specialized and experienced experienced associates for that personal touch and hands-on management style to achieve long-term goals with short-term results. At Beyond the Baselines, we understand the traditions and importance of membership, but history and connections to a bygone era shouldn't inhibit growth. In fact, we believe they can be a catalyst for change. So please visit our website at beyondthebaselines.com or give us a call at 508-538-1288. That's 508-538-1288. You've obviously been involved in a few searches. Uh, mm -hmm. I know of one we talked about. We we won't go into detail, but uh, uh, talking about workers, a, a big comment that I've been hearing lately is that a it's tough to find work, but b when you talk to the workers and the and and people like you, the pay scale isn't appropriate, and there seems to be uh, a miscommunication. I would call it between a person in your position or my position and the board. I think the board, mm -hmm. a lot of times the board doesn't, um, doesn't rate the salary high enough. And I think it's changing slowly, but how have you found that in the industry? Where have you seen that uh, money fall? You know, has it, obviously you're at Nassau club now, we won't talk about that, but in your searches, have you found that, you know, sometimes there's a miscommunication or a, uh, not an effort on the side of the board to understand the, the competitive pricing. 
Um, you mean from staffing, not for us. Well, both, both, both. I'm saying both. Um, I, and I'll say, I'll preface it that way. Uh, okay. From my standpoint, they don't understand that assistant tennis bros are at, you know, $56 an hour now where they, right. you know, and, and they don't understand that a director of tennis or even an assistant director of tennis at a seasonal club is, is looking at, you know, a, a lot of money. And um, when they go out and, and set up that job profile and job description with or without a search firm. And sometimes I think search firms are in the camp of the clubs too mm-hmm. often. Okay. Totally. Right. Totally. Um, so, and I'm careful when I do a search, I'm careful not to be that way, yeah. but uh, they don't always do the correct comps. You know, we, you go buy a house, you go to other clubs and do comps. And the mm-hmm. problem is you, you, if you dump somebody in the new job at a lower comp and they see somebody going the other way, um, <laughs> they see someone going the other way, uh, much higher, that person's only going to last that job for a year before that person leaves on the other side and they jump over there. I think boards for one, one, yes, the recruiters are working for the clubs, right? Um, I would uh, no say- doubt. Yeah, I would say uh, last three. Yeah, the last three, I've I've come in under what I know I'm worth, um, uh, which is is a hard pill to swallow. Um, partly that's on me. I should have asked for more. Um, I think boards tend to look at what we do as glorified servers, you know, like they still look at us as waiters and waitresses or even like how much, you know, how hard is it to be a tennis pro? Like they just get to play tennis all day, right? Like they, they don't take what we do seriously. And we used to joke at Stanwich that when we die and come back, we all want to come back as tennis pros because... (laughs) Because uh, our tennis pro at Stanwich, like he made so much money, and Guy and I were like, "How does he make that much?" <laughs> we're all coming back as tennis pros. Um, it's hard to to get what we're worth, and um, I wish it was different, and I wish I had a better answer because it's a hard pill to swallow. Um, just when I think I'm making headway. I kind of have to swallow another pill um, to get a better position. You know what I mean? Um, I don't know if that answers your question, but it's tricky, right? Like I should easily be making forty, fifty thousand dollars more than I do. It, It like if we look at the economy, if we look at where we live, like Princeton, not a cheap place to live, right? Like for us to just be able to live comfortably, yeah, I should be making more. And I know the club has more. I, you know, like whatever club it is, I know you guys can afford more. They're just not going to shell it out. For the for the servers, I think it's even harder because they don't get tips, right? Um, I mean, I've I've waited tables more times than I can count. And so I I have that mentality of a server. I get very protective of my staff, um, especially when things are demanded from them, um, like from a banquet manager. And and it's like, you do this, you are going to just waste my staff um, because I've had to be in that position. They will make 20 to $22 an hour Okay, that's that's okay, but they don't get tips, right? And in clubs, like we don't tip them. No tip in clubs, right? Right. No gratuity uh, at the end of the season, but that right. never adds up to what you would have had through the year. Right, right. And right. like, you know, the holiday fund where they all get the giant bonus in December. Okay, so that's $3,000. Like, big, I don't want to say big deal, but big deal. I have somebody that I'm interviewing today who works at a restaurant in Princeton and she only wants to work part-time for me 
because she's like, why would I give up my $400 nights? Right. So clubs can't compete with that. And the board sooner or later has to realize like, how do we start to retain staff? Because having a lifestyle is nice, but you have to be able to afford it. They're like, oh, but they don't have to work late nights. They get insurance. They get this. They get, yeah, but they still need money. Yeah. It's funny. I, I, I had a, I've been interviewing to do another search. Um, and this, and the club is, is owned by a company and that GM it's so different because that GM, I said, I think this is what, you know, this director should make. And they said, add 10 K. And I said, we can add 10 K. And they said, cause we don't offer health. And, you know, boards of member owned properties don't think about that. Mm-hmm. I, I've never been in a meeting where they say offer another five or 10 K because this person's on a family, they're bringing a family in for health. Um, yeah. And those are the things, you know, that come up in those conversations where a search firm is, is, is on the side of the club. And, mm-hmm. and I think that's holding back in a lot of ways, the, the, the salaries and the pay scales for a lot of people in the industry, the private yeah. industry. So it's, it's interesting that you have the, the, the same feeling you've gone through a few searches in your day. I've run a few searches in my day. and I, I find that out. Let me ask you this question. Um, you have to make a city club, and you said this, a club that you're GM at or a club that you're food and beverage. It's the members, if it's members owned, and if it's corporate owned too, it's their second home. Mm-hmm. What are the top three things you do to make, and I'm, I'm catching you off guard here because I didn't give you this as a preparation no, question, but what are the top three things that you would do or you do do to make someone feel that it's their second home? Oh my gosh. Well, it depends on number one, how well I know them or, or my Mm -hmm. initial, um, interaction with them. Like I met a couple for the first time on Saturday night and they were so much fun and they love wine. And I ended up spending so much time with that table and just breaking out wine and like, try this, try this. You know, like, like having that one-on-one with them, uh, if they're up for it is, is my number one thing to do. Um, cause you've talked with me, you know, I can talk to a tree. It's like, I can talk all day long. <laughs> so, um, but my more reserved members, um, it is, it's finding that one thing. And, and especially when you're in this industry, you, you, you read a lot, you study a lot, you tend to know a little bit about everything and having something that I can talk to Mr. Agnew about. I know he reads The Economist. So I talk to him about The Economist. You know, it's picking those one little, the little things that I know will show that I actually care about you. I remember you. I'm interested in you. Um, I don't know if I could name three things because everything else, you hit that one thing, everything else will fall off. Yeah, right. that's, that's um, it's, it's the member experience. That's, it's what Guy always taught me. You create that member experience, the rest falls in line. That's a great answer. And um, I'll be sending this podcast to Patrick Agnew because he must, <laughs> he must spend time at your club and at pretty, I mean, he's everywhere. I he's mean, everywhere. When, when, he's everywhere. Mr. Agnew, <laughs> I'm going to send this to you. Um, I love him. He's a great member. It's like, uh, it's like, and not at NASA club. He's at the club pretty Brook where I'm managing. Right. It's like, it's like, I, I will be walking down the street in Princeton. I'm like, Oh, there's Mr. Agnew. <laughs> Like this guy is just everywhere. But he's one, day, 
and, and this is how members react, you know, when they like what you do for them and yeah. it, it goes both ways. He followed me out of the driveway and stopped me in downtown Princeton and said, Hey, Ed, you want to come for a pint at my house? Because <laughs> I, I had mentioned that I was going to go out for lunch and he just thought he'd ask me for a pint. I thought it was so nice. He said, Yeah, nice yeah. He came into my office the other night and um, he was going to a dinner party and he, he wanted to take some wine. He wanted to show off at this dinner party and what he was offering to buy. I was like, no, no, that's, that's not going to be like, no one's going to be like, wow, what in the hell did you just bring? You know, <laughs> like, I'm going to make you the cool guy at the party. And I gave him something out of my personal stock that is really cool and progressive in winemaking. And he reported back, he's like, everybody drank the wine as soon as I walked in and, it, and they loved it. That's like, yes, that's, there you go. and he'll remember that. He'll remember that. Of course, those are the things that make you a second home. Yeah, exactly. Well, we brought the member by name into it. <laughs> Hey, my apologies, uh, Mr. Agnew. That's okay. So this is a following on from that. Um, the, the private members club industry is moving on after COVID. Where do you see it headed? Uh, I've got two questions left. This is one. Where do you see it going in the next couple of years? I mean, we're, I think, you know, knock wood, we're post COVID. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Obviously as it, as it, yeah, we hope, right. You never know. know, New New England, Northeast, New Jersey, yeah. but you guys are severely affected by any kind of COVID outbreak because you're an eating club. You're all indoors in the winter up there. Um, but that aside, where do you think you're going to head as a, as an industry? Where are we going? I think everybody's fatigued and um, the governor from Colorado, I think said it best over the weekend. I heard an interview with him Um it's kind of your responsibility to take care of yourself and it's up to you. And I think that's where the industry is going to be. Like we will leave it up to our members because we've discovered during COVID that even though the outlets may have been closed, um, some States still allow golf. That was refuge for people. So it, it kind of circles back to it being a second home. Like membership has increased in, in clubs across the country since COVID. And I think it will continue to be that um, because it's even most clubs that I know during COVID, they had takeout programs. Like nobody's shut down completely. Everybody had a takeout program. So there was still that, that feeling of, well, we can still go to the club and grab dinner, you know, even if we can't. And, and NASA set up the front yard um, so people could eat outdoors. And so, you know, should that happen again, we, could, we have that option. Um, Stanwich was, was takeout, but it was still function. Um, you know, I think we will adjust as, as time goes on. I, I think you're right. I think, you know, wait lists are still strong. Yeah. Um, and I think um, COVID may come back, may not come back, but I think the clubs have had a revival. And, um, mm-hmm. and as you say, they were a second home and now people see people using them as a second home and they want to have that home too, you know, yeah. keeping up with the yeah. Joneses. I'd like to welcome our first sponsor here at beyondthebaselines.com podcast. And that's Play by Court, playbycourt.com. Choosing the right technology partner is not an easy task. However, staying with the same outdated provider can be a costly decision. And with today's fast-changing environment, well, you need a partner that will help you adapt to the ever-growing needs of your members. At Play by Court, while they provide the best technology solution customized for your club, with their app, your members can easily manage their profile, they, they can book courts, programs, lessons, they can pay. I asked Andre, show me the payment solutions, fantastic. And your members can communicate directly with members and you, the staff. So please go have a look at playbycourt.com and see what really matters most to your members. Your club, your rules, your software. Playbycourt.com. Final question before I ask about the wait, waiting on tables Olympics. I think you said some waiter Olympics. Yeah. Um, but that, that's going to be the last question. Uh, 
final question is um, about mentoring. And I know one of your major mentors was Guy D'Ambrosio there at the Sandwich Club. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a I have a, a special mentor. His name's Paul Pertilli. He was my director up at Edgar Town Yacht Club. He was the, the best director I've ever seen. And I model a lot after him. I'm sure you model a lot after Guy. I do. But how exactly, right? How do you take what you gleaned and learned from Guy? And this is something I think about myself all the time and bring that to your mentoring of your 12 staff at the Nassau club, because you know, you're a new face there. They're related. They've been there for a while. How do you take your, what you want and how you think you should mentor someone and do that with such a tight staff? There are standouts among a staff, right? And there are people who will soak up information like a sponge. And I have three or four people who are really interested in wine. And um, that's, that feeds me every day. Like what else can I do for them? So, you know, you have, you have your people who just come in every day, they punch the clock and, and it's their job, right? You grab on to those that who, who really want to learn and, and you lead by example, which is what Guy did. Um, you be that presence for them and you constantly are feeding them. It's, it's you know, the other day, and I don't even know if anyone, anyone took it, but I broke down all of the ABAs in California and with their soil types and the type of varietals they grow in each ABA. And it's like, here's information. We'll drink and we'll talk about all this next week. Yeah, it's, it's if they just grab a hold of like an eighth of that information, that's, that's terrific. That's terrific. I mean, I, I always call Stanwich the boot camp. Like if you want to go learn how to be a GM, how to throw an event, how to throw a member guest, anything, anything, go to Stanwich and spend the weekend there and you will not come out the same person. I try to do that every single day. It's like, what little bit of information can I throw at my staff that someone will grab it? Someone will grab it. And Great answer. my hat off to Guy. He is, uh, yeah, there's a good, good spot in my heart for Guy. Yeah, I've got the same for Paul Pertilli. It's, uh, yeah. I uh, call him once in a while when, I've, when I'm stumped. I still give Paul a call up there on the 508 number and say, hey, Paul, I got one for you here. Okay. I'm sure you do the same with Guy. So this is a, hor- it's, it's truly a horrible story and I probably shouldn't even tell it. But when I was at Suburban and I just left Stanwich and Guy and I would talk probably about every other week and I had a caddy die while while he was at the club. And my first thing I did was like, call guy. He didn't answer. So I start texting him. And I was like, you didn't cover this in boot camp. Like, what the hell am I supposed to do? Come to find out. He's with Corey Chow dining somewhere in New York City. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> you know, like, that's great guy. What do I do? <laughs> right. Didn't right. Cover this in boot camp. So, yeah, the those mentors are are the best. And and your position now, you are a mentor, and we have to always remember that, as you say, every day we have to remember that and offer yeah. that tidbit or that bit of advice or make sure that they realize what you're doing so that they can go do it when they leave. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So to finish off, I want to I want to go back to a nice happy subject, which is the Waiter Olympics in Princeton. (laughs) Could you please explain what that is and how it works and what's involved? Well, I do know that this was pre-COVID and and I would like to see it return. Um, So, you know, Palmer Square, right? Right. Uh, Isn't that the Nassau end right there, Palmer Square, the big tree? Like when you're going down Nassau Mm -hmm. and you know where the big German building is that has the Hamilton... Uh, jewelers. jewelers. Yeah. Turn left there. Yeah. Yeah. So you go down in there and that's the square. 
Right. Well, there are hills that go up and down the square. They would have the waiters and waiters have been at restaurants in Princeton for like 20 years, you know, like they don't leave oh, their job. So in the spring, they would pack um, trays full of martini glasses, you know, fill them up and they would have these guys race around the square. You couldn't spill anything. You, you know, you had to finish with your tray intact. And like most of my servers have competed in this and they love it. And I'm looking at them like, I would be a nervous wreck. Like I know I can like tables, but oh my God, I would be a nervous wreck. They haven't done it since COVID. And so I'm interested to see if they'll bring it, it back. comes back. Yeah. Which it should, because like they all love it. They all love it. Which is kind of well, crazy. I, I'll have to say next time I walk into Witherspoons, I'm going to see who who has done it. Like, have you done the Waiters Olympics? Yeah, I'm going over to Agricola or whatever that place is on that street. Yeah. I'm going over. <laughs> uh, that's hilarious. Yeah, yeah. It's and I one of my servers said I made it a quarter of the way through. Most of my glasses ended up falling off the tray. I just dropped the tray and said the hell with it. I'm not doing it. <laughs> there are some like, hills like there's steps and hills yeah. I, mean, I, I have to explain that there's like it's a big square too and it's got a building in the middle it's like and it's a big square it's a big square and it's, and there's there are benches there are poles there yeah. like it's an old city yeah, there's, there's monuments in there too i think right. there's a couple monuments with like lions and trees and stuff <laughs> there's there and there's a weird tiger that sits in the middle weird of the tiger park. that's what i'm thinking it's a tiger <laughs> not a lion excuse me i'm never gonna be allowed back in princeton if i call it a lion it's a princeton tigers well i may not be either after i just called it the weird tigers so. right right and you called out a member and he <laughs> Great to have you on the podcast. As always, great to see you. And um, oh, we good. wish you the best up there in Princeton. I know it's getting Thank cold. You. It's yeah. Nice, yeah. If you need a vacation, um, come on down to Florida. We could always use some help with food and beverage wherever I am. Um, but we, it's great to see you and, and great to see you succeeding. I've known you now a couple of years. And, yeah. um, and thanks for your time today. And, and thanks for all you do in the industry. Well, thank you. It's always good to see you too. And, and you still owe me the name for uh, um, a tennis pro. I will give you a tennis pro in okay. Princeton. All right. Yes. Okay. Thanks so much. Thanks. See you later. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to beyondthebaselines.com podcast. It's a pleasure bringing you each week's news and views and great guests from our tennis, fitness, and country club industries. You can always reach the team here at beyondthebaselines at gmail.com or on the phone at 508-538-1288. Please do visit our website at www.beyondthebaselines.com, which is updated regularly with even more information for you, your club, or your facility. See you again soon.